Thank you so much. <clears throat> Y'all are looking good this morning. Turn to your neighbor and say, girl, you made it and you are looking good. <laughs> awesome. You know, I mentioned last night, well, um, Cynthia mentioned that um, the first book she read of mine was Becoming Spiritually Beautiful, and I didn't bring that this weekend, but we have a little sheet out front, and if that's a book that you would like to look into, you can sign up to get that, and I will mail it to you on Monday. Um, As I mentioned last night, I had a new book that came out on May 3rd, sold out in three hours on Amazon. (laughs) Woo-hoo! But one of the last phases of a book, when you you write the book and then you send it in, and then they go and look for all your little mistakes and all your boo-boos. My husband always reads it first because, yeah, I'm a terrible speller. And, you know, it's really hard to find your own mistakes. That'll preach, won't it? You know, you can find other people's, but it's hard to find your own. So I want to read you some mistakes that were in church bulletins this morning. I'm going to wake you up. I'm going to see if you are awake. How about that? So I want to see if you can figure out the mistakes. Okay, you're alert. You're awake. Okay. This one church bulletin said, Bertha Belch, that's a problem right there, right? (laughs) Bertha Belch, a missionary from Africa, will be speaking tonight at Calvary Memorial Church. Come tonight and hear Bertha Belch all the way from Africa. (laughs) This one said, ladies, don't forget the rummage sale. It's a chance to get rid of all those things not worth keeping around, and don't forget your husbands. (laughs) This one says, next Thursday, there will be tryouts for the choir. They need all the help they can get. (laughs) And this one's about the choir also. At the evening service tonight, the sermon topic is, what is hell? Come early and listen to the choir practice. (laughs) This being Easter Sunday, Mrs. Smith will come forward and lay an egg on the altar. (laughs) This Sunday, there will be a baptism service at the north and south ends of the sanctuary, and children will be baptized in both ends. (laughs) Okay, sorry about this one, Cynthia. Uh, Next Thursday, there will be a meeting of the Little Mothers Club. All those wishing to become Little Mothers, come see the pastor in his study. (laughs) Somebody got in trouble for that one. (laughs) Next Sunday, there will be an offering to defray the cost of the carpet. All those wishing to do a little something on the carpet, come forward and get a piece of paper. (laughs) For those of you who have children and don't know it, we have a nursery downstairs. (laughs) And then this one says, next Saturday, the women of the church have cast off clothing of every kind, and they can be seen in the church basement on Friday. See, now, we all make mistakes in what we say, don't we, and what we do. We had this thing, Mary Gwen and I, Girlfriends and God. By the way, did anybody sign up for Girlfriends and God yesterday? Look at you. You go, girl. Thank you. Got some new gigs in the house. Go to girlfriendsandgod.com. Get our daily devotions. But Mary and Gwen and I, the ones that write the devotions, um, we have something we do. It's called Grace, Grace, Grace. Somebody hurts our feelings, we go, Grace, Grace, Grace. Let me see you guys do that. Grace, grace, grace. Somebody jumps in front of you at lunch today. What are you going to do? Grace, grace, grace. Somebody pulls out in front of you when you leave this place. What are you going to do? Grace, grace, grace. We need grace, don't we? 
And we're going to talk about some grace this morning. We're going to talk about some grace. But we're going to talk about Moses again. Now, last night we looked at Moses in Exodus chapter 3. Now, in Mo- in, with Moses in Exodus chapter 33, it talks about Moses going up to the mountain and meeting with God, and he would become so radiant, his face would actually shine, that he would cover his face so the people down below wouldn't see that radiant shine fading away. But see, Moses didn't start out with a radiant face, did he? And that gives me great hope because he was transformed. Things happened to him between Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 33. He was transformed just like we are being transformed. Now, last night we learned that Moses was born during a time when the God's chosen people, the Hebrews, were under slavery, under bondage of the Egyptians. He was rescued from being killed. All the boy babies were being thrown into the Nile. He was rescued. He was adopted as the Pharaoh's daughter's son, raised in a house of privilege at age 40. He came up with a plan. The plan failed. He bailed and he ran away to Midian. Forty years later, God came to him and spoke to him in a burning bush and told him that he had a great plan. He said, I have seen the misery of my people. I've heard their crying. I am concerned about them. I have come to rescue them. And this was sounding good to Moses until God said, and I am sending you. And we looked at last night that first question that all of us have to answer if we want to truly be transformed. Because we come to Christ, we know we've got heaven to look forward to. But many of us just stop right there. And last night we looked at how we want to take hold of everything God has for us, right? But that means we've got to let go of some things. And we've got to answer that question. The very first question that Moses asked God at the burning bush was, Who am I? Who am I that I should go to the Pharaoh? We've got to answer that question. Because every time God calls you to something or to go through something, Satan's going to get you to question who you are. And we've got to know the answer to that question, Who am I? Last night we looked at who we are, who we are as a child of God. And we determined and declared that we were going to let go of feelings of insecurity, Right? And we're going to take hold of our true identity as a child of God. Then we looked at the second question. When when Moses asked God, God, what is your name? Who are you? And God said, I am. The Hebrew word is actually Yahweh, used about 6,800 times in the Old Testament. And when you feel like you are not enough, when you say, I am not enough, God says what? And when the world looks at you and says, no way, you say, Yahweh. Amen. So we looked at who God was. We decided and declared and determined that we were going to let go of feelings of inadequacy and we were going to take hold of God's all-sufficiency in our lives. So today, I want to look at the the third question that Moses had. And let's open up, if you have your Bibles, this is found in Exodus 4, verse 1. We're also going to put it up on the screen. So Moses is continuing to argue with God. And he asked him, he said, Well, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord didn't appear to you? What if they don't believe me or listen to me? Now, why would Moses say that? Where did that come from? I'll tell you where it came from. Because 40 years prior, they didn't believe him. So he's allowing his past to determine his future. He's allowing his past experience to block him from moving forward into what God has called him to do because see, his own people rejected him. 
what happened was he came up with this plan. He was going to save his people. Now, remember, God didn't call him to the plan. He came up with the plan. So he goes out and he sees an Egyptian slave driver beating a Hebrew slave. So Moses goes and he kills the Egyptian slave driver, hit him in the sand. One down, several million to go. He's working the plan, right? So the next day he goes out and he sees two Hebrews fighting. And he says, guys, what are you fighting for? Tried to break them up. And one of the Hebrew slaves said, who made you ruler and judge over us? You're going to kill me like you did that Egyptian yesterday? Moses knew that everyone knew what he had done, that his own people didn't appreciate what he was trying to do for them. They made fun of him. They belittled him. And not only that, but the Pharaoh was out to kill him. So he failed and he bailed. That was his past experience. Have any of you failed and bailed in your life and then you allowed your past experience to keep you from moving forward into the destiny that God has for you? Past experience. They rejected him. They scorned him. They made fun of him. And Moses didn't say it, but he could have said, suppose they don't believe me or listen to me like they did it 40 years ago. I'm a failure, God. I'm a murderer. I'm a wanted man. They don't appreciate me. And he might not have said it, but I imagined that he remembered that failure every day of his life. Anybody have those reminders of all the times you failed coming back day after day after day? And sometimes we allow that memory of our past, like I said before, to block us, to hold us hostage, really. And to keep us from doing all that God has called us to do. And we allow our past to mistakenly define who we are rather than God's word. But remember, God said you were his daughter whom he loves and with you he is well pleased. That's who you are. Just because you've been abused in your past does not mean that you were damaged goods. Amen? Just because you failed in your past does not mean that you are a failure. You are God's daughter whom he loves, and with you he is well pleased. You were chosen. You were dearly loved. That does not change because you made a mistake. God will use your past. I'll give you three bullet points right here really quickly. God will use your past to develop you, but not to define you. God will use your past to help you become the woman he wants you to be, to transform you, to help transform you. But he does not want to use your past to hinder you from doing all that he's called you to do. Now, Satan wants to use your past as a stumbling block. You know that, right? He wants to use your past as a stumbling block. But God wants to use your past just as a stepping stone to get you to that place, to transform you into that woman that he wants you to be. Your past is just a stepping stone. Satan wants to use your past to, to keep you from being all that God called you to be. God wants to use it to help develop you, not to hinder you. So it's just simply a stepping stone. Now, I talked about this verse last night. Philippians three twelve says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I want to take hold of everything that Jesus has for me. But then he goes on to say this. He said, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. If somebody says, one thing I do, I'm going to pay attention to that. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining for what is ahead. I'm letting go 
And then I'm reaching forward. You see that? Letting go and reaching forward. Forgetting what is behind. Reaching forward to what is ahead. Verse 14, he says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I am letting go. I am moving forward so that I can live bold. One thing I do. Letting go of what's been done to you by other people. What's been done through you. The mistakes you've made. That could be 15 years ago, something that happened to you. It could be an hour ago. Somebody says something to you at breakfast and you are still thinking about it, girl. I know how we are. But we got to let it go. The cruelty, the injustice, the slander, the snide comment, the abuse that we've had in our past, the mistakes we've made. We've got to let it go. The abandonment, the spouse who hurt us, the man who hurt us, the parent who ignored us. We've got to let it go. So that we can move forward. And you can't change the past, right? You cannot change it. But girl, you can certainly change what you do with it. You can change what you do with that past. Now, when he says, I'm forgetting what lies behind, we can't wipe it out of our minds, right? I wish we could, don't you? Don't you wish there was this delete button and we could remove it? But what it means when he says, I'm forgetting what lies behind, he means I'm no longer going to let it control me. I'm not going to let it control me any longer. And almost every time when it's something that has happened to us, that involves forgiveness. we got to forgive those people who have hurt us. Now, what does forgiveness actually mean? We have the the Greek word here up on on the screen there. And the word means to let go from one's power or possession, to let go free, to let us escape, to cut someone loose. To cut someone loose has nothing to do with whether or not that person deserves forgiveness. It has everything to do with you being free. Now, if forgiveness means to cut someone loose, what is the opposite of that? Well, the opposite of that would be to tie someone on your back. So I want you to think about it. Every morning, those people that you don't forgive, you get up in the morning, you strap them on your back. I want you to keep that picture. And it's hard to run the great race of life with folks strapped on your back, isn't it? Somebody right now is thinking about a person you've got strapped on your back. Some of you got a whole busload of people strapped on your back. What we need to do is cut them off. Cut cut them loose. Take them off your hook and put them on God's hook. Take them off your hook. It is not worth it. Let it go. Let it go. And let me tell you something. The people that we don't forgive, let me tell you a little secret. They don't care. (laughs) You know that? They don't care. And most of the time, they don't even know that you're getting up every day and strapped in this home. And forgiveness is setting the prisoner free and realizing the prisoner's you. Unforgiveness is drinking a poison and waiting for the other person to die. We got to free free. We got to let it go. Let it go. They don't care. Now, let me tell you what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not saying that what that person did isn't wrong. It's not saying that it doesn't matter. What it is saying is that you're going to let it go and you're going to give God the responsibility for justice. And you're not going to be controlled by it any longer. That's what forgiveness is. That's what forgiveness is. It's transferring, it's transferring that admission of justice away from you and onto God. It's setting yourself free. Now, I was thinking about Paul, and he's the one that wrote that verse. So what did he have to to forgive people for? And in 2 Corinthians 11, 
23 through 29, Paul wrote this. He said, I've worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly in dangers from bandits, in dangers from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in dangers in the city, in dangers in the country, dangers at sea, in dangers from false believers. I have labored, I have toiled, I've often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold, I have been naked, and besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all you knuckleheads in the church. <laughs> and I read that and I thought, when did all that happen to Paul? I mean, if one of those things that happened to me, I have a whole chapter in the Bible about it. But not Paul. People abused him, and he let it go. They abused him, he let it go. They abused him, and he let it go. And you know where Paul was when he wrote this? He was in prison, for goodness sakes. He was in prison. What do you do with a guy like that? They said, we're going to put you in prison. Paul's like, that's all right. I'll just lead the prison guard to the Lord. I'll just write some letters to some churches. You know, he just had such a good attitude about it. And we always have a choice when someone hurts us. Are we going to be bitter about it or are we going to be better because of it? Bitter or better. And it always begins with a choice. Um, I told you a little bit about, about my family last night. Uh, raised in a pretty rough environment. And I had a brother that was five years older. My brother could never get old over what happened to us as kids. And I didn't tell you everything, but it was a lot. He could never get over it. He left our family, and he got married to a wonderful woman and left his family, and he is a bitter man because he never would let it go. Well, my mom died 18 months ago, and, man, she finished well. She finished so well. I can't wait to tell you that in just a little bit. But um, I was in the hospital with her, and, and she was looking out the window, and I said, Mom, what are you thinking about? She said, I'm thinking about it's not how you start but how you finish. And I said, Mom, who taught you that? She said, you did. And my mama finished well. But she had one dying wish, and that was to see her son again. But he wouldn't come. He didn't come to the funeral. But my mom, she was a woman of grace, grace, grace. And she left my brother some inheritance. And so I called and told the woman he was living with about it. And I said, he just needs to go pick it up. And then she began to say, I'm sorry he didn't come just because of their past and blah, blah, blah. And I said, you know what? I was raised in the same house. And forgiveness is a matter of choice. And he has chosen to not forgive. And it's ruined his life. And ladies, it is a choice. It is a choice. And you can be bitter about it and carry that resentment around and let it ruin your life. Or you can be free. Amen? Be free. And be transformed by forgiving other people. Let go of bitter resentment and take hold of radical, radical forgiveness. But suppose that person you need to forgive is that woman you look at in the mirror every morning. Suppose that first person you need to forgive is yourself. What do you do with that? You know, Paul, going back to Paul, he had a lot to forgive himself for. See, before Paul was Paul, his name was Saul. And he went around killing Christians. 
murdering Christians. It says in Acts 8, 3, but Paul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. As a matter of fact, when he met Jesus on that road to Damascus, he was on his way to some government officials to get more papers so he could have more Christians arrested and murdered. And Jesus met him on that road, transformed him. And then he wrote this verse in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in, and one is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is what? The old is gone. The new has come. He also wrote this verse in Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when we carry around that guilt and that shame, man, you are carrying around exactly what Satan wants you to carry around. But Jesus has died to set you free from it. He says there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Corrie Tim Boone, who was a woman in a concentration camp during World War II, she was a Christian, but she got arrested and put in a concentration camp for hiding Jews in her home. And after she got out, she went out and she talked about God's grace and forgiveness. And she said that God throws our sins into the deepest of seas And then he puts up a sign that says, no fishing allowed. Because don't we do that? We know God forgives us, but we start fishing it back up, pulling it back up. And listen, Satan is going to throw that bait to you as long as you'll take it. And what you have to do is say, I am not taking the bait any longer. I am forgiven and I am free and there is no more shame and condemnation over me. Because grace, God's grace is over me. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you believe God today? Do you believe God's word? This is what God says. You have been forgiven and you are free. Don't let the... Listen, one of Satan's biggest tools against Christian women is shame and condemnation. Because if you can't get rid of that shame... You will not move forward and be transformed to do and to be what God's called you to do and to be. You've got to let it go. Now, when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. That's what our Bibles tell us. But that word that he said also, to telestai is the actual word. It also means paid in full. Your sin has been paid in full. Now, in the Old Testament, when someone had a debt and the the debt was paid, they would go and hammer that debt to the person's door. Jesus was hammered to the door of heaven to cross so that we can be forgiven. The debt has been paid. But when we say, yes, God, I know that you've forgiven me, but I just can't forgive myself. That is like saying to Jesus that what he did was not enough. It is enough. Your debt has been paid. God is so much bigger than your failures. His grace is so much bigger than anything you could ever do. So much bigger than your mistakes. His grace is greater than your sins. It is enough. And I'm not talking about just the sins you committed before you came to Christ. I'm talking about the ones you committed after you came to Christ. Those are the ones Satan really likes to throw in your face, isn't it? The times you didn't hold back your tongue. The times you didn't say no. The times you didn't act like a new creation. But you know God's not surprised by that. You will never hear God say, well, I didn't say that coming. You just won't. He knew everything you were going to do even after you became a Christian. And he chose you anyway. And his plan of forgiveness and grace was in place. You know, Jesus was having his last meal with his disciples. And he was telling them about 
that he was getting ready to leave and go to a place where they, they couldn't go. And um, Peter was a little upset about that. But Jesus began to talk to him. And in Luke twenty two thirty one. he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, I want you to strengthen your brothers. But Peter replied, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison and death with you. Don't you know Jesus thought, sure you are ready. (laughs) Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And we know what happened exactly that, right? Later, when Jesus was arrested and he was taken before Pilate and Peter snuck into that courtyard. It said, then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance, which is what shame will always do. He followed at a distance. And when some of them had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down with them. And a servant girl saw him. A servant girl, a little girl, saw him there by the firelight. She looked at him closely and said, this man was with him. But Peter denied it. Woman, I don't know him. Little time later, someone else said to him, you are also one of them. He said, man, I am not. And about an hour later, another one said, certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord returned and looked straight at Peter. Peter remembered the words the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept. I've gone outside and wept, have you? And then the next day, what do you think happened when Peter heard? And he heard that rooster crow again the next day. And don't you know that shame was all over him again? And then the next day, and then the shame. And the next day, and the next day. Some of you have a rooster crowing in your heart every morning. A rooster crowing. What does Jesus have to say about that? What does he have to say about that rooster? Well, after Jesus was resurrected, Peter and John had gone back to doing what they'd always done. Easy to fall into that, isn't it? Going back to doing what they'd always done. They'd gone back to fishing and one day they, something happened to them as they saw Jesus on the shore. Let's take a look at this video and see what Jesus had to say about Peter's failure. Grace is God's unmerited favor for us, his crazy love. And the truth is, many times we struggle understanding it. If you find yourself struggling to understand God's grace, don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggled with understanding grace. Jesus, is that you? You're alive. I can't believe you're alive. Okay, I was in the boat and I wasn't catching any fish, okay? But I heard this voice and the voice said, cast your net to the other side. And so I'm thinking, I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing, but I'm not catching any fish, you know? And so I throw that net over there and then a gaggle of fish pop into that net and I'm going, this is a total miracle. Who could have done that? I need to know who told me to throw the net to the other side. And boom, I look up and I mean, there is you. You're looking at me on the seashore going, it is I, the Lord, and you're alive. I can't believe you're alive. This is awesome. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on. Peter, yeah. do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. You're alive. This is so great. Good, then feed my sheep. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on, man. It's him. Peter, Yeah. do you love me? 
I love you, yes. And I'm so sorry about that rooster cluck, and I had no idea what that meant, but I do not. I'm better for it, all right? Okay. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Come on, get out of the boat. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Jesus, mere words cannot describe the passion that I have for you. I love you. You know everything. I love you. Good. Good. Then feed my sheep. I didn't even know you had livestock. That is so like you, though. There's something new about you all the time. That's what I love about you. Peter, yeah. do you remember uh, the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all in the upper room trying to figure out what to do next, you know, because we thought you were dead. You know, you were dead, you know, and we're trying to figure all that out, you know. And Mary comes running up, and Mary's like saying, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking, I'm allergic to bees. Like, keep them out. You know what I'm saying? But as she kept getting closer, I heard her correctly. She was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we're going, who's alive, who's alive? And she said, she was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty. And she said that the, there was an angel there. And the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. And so me and John, we hightailed it down there. And if John says he beat me, he's totally lying, all right? I beat him, FYI, all right, you know? And we get down there, and I'm looking in that tomb, and it is. It is empty. There's nothing in there, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And John is right there. John is so good with words. He should write a book. He is so good with words. And John said, don't you get it, Peter? This is everything Jesus said he was going to do, and you did it, and it's done. Let's go. This is so great. Wait. Yeah. The angel said what? Uh, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. You've risen. Let's go. This he is said okay. what? Go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. You said my name. Why did you say my name? Peter, that's grace. No, no, I don't, I don't deserve that because that night people kept coming up to me asking me if I belonged to you, if I was with you, and I kept denying you left and right, all right? No, no it'll take me my whole life to make up for what I did. It was unforgivable for no, what I did. No, What I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's my grace. It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace, Peter. Grace is all about him. It's not about you. And what was Jesus doing? He was telling Peter, get back in the game. Get off the bench. And so many times we bench ourselves. And Jesus was saying, you need to get back in the game and feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. And if you have benched yourself and taken yourself out of the game, that's what God is saying to you. You need to get back in the game and feed my sheep. And he is calling you by name today. He is calling your name. Failure's not final. It's just the way that God is trying to get you to where you need to go. You know what I wrote a book um, called How Jesus Wrote the Rules to Set You Free. And in that book, I talked about how Jesus broke one of the cultural rules every time he came in contact with a woman. Don't you love that? But I was thinking about when you flip over from the Old Testament to the New Testament, for the first time in the genealogy, there's women listed. should tell you something's up in the New Testament. Because in the Old Testament, they don't normally list women. So, I mean, if you were going to get to write this and list women, who would you list? I mean, goodness, maybe Mrs. Noah. She had to be very patient, right? Maybe Sarah. I mean, she's pretty awesome. 
But who was listed in the genealogy of Jesus Christ? Tamar. She had an incestuous relationship with her father-in-law. Rahab. She was a prostitute. Bathsheba. She had an affair with David. Ruth. She was a nice girl, but she was from a cursed people. And I'm so glad he chose those women because that shows us that there's no place that you can go that is so far from God's grace that he can't not only forgive you, but then use you. Because some of you are here, and I, and I know what you're thinking. Some of you are thinking, yes, I know God has forgiven me, but he could never use me. Oh, nothing could be further from the truth. Most of the time, if you look at people in ministry, it is people who have failed miserably. But then God has redeemed them and transformed them and now uses them. Don't you dare let Satan tell you that you're too far gone. And what you've done is too bad for God to use you. Because he's telling you today, feed my sheep. And when that rooster crows, instead of remembering what you did, you think grace, grace, grace. You know what I decided? Rooster makes a fine meal. (laughs) He does. We need to turn those stumbling blocks into stepping stones and get rid of that rooster crowing in your head. Remember, God is preparing you for what he's prepared before you. For you were God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good work, which he planned in advance for you to do. Learn from your mistakes under the tutelage of the Holy Spirit, but then move on. Let it go. Let it go. Let go of your past mistakes and failures and take hold of grace-filled acceptance. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's do that one more time. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Woo, woo. That still wasn't very good. Let's do it one more time. Amen. Hallelujah. Woo, woo. Awesome. Now, let's talk about three simple steps for turning stumbling blocks into stepping stones. Three steps. The first step is look what you've gone through, mistakes you've made, what's been done to you, or what you've has been done through you, the, the, the mistakes that you have made in your own life. And then look for the hidden treasure. What does God want you to learn from that? When my son was, um, he's 32 now, but um, when he was in the fifth grade, um, I was with his class at school on a field trip. We went to Reed Gold Mine. It's an old abandoned gold mine near Charlotte. And after they showed us how they mined for gold in the caves, they took us out to the riverbank to pan for gold. And I was on my knees, and I had a sieve, and we were all looking for gold. And as I filled it up with the mud and the dirt from that river, and I shook it back and forth, God said, Sharon, this is your life, full of dirt, full of mud, but you just shake it back and forth. You let my word and my spirit wash over all that, and you look for those nuggets of gold. Look for the nuggets of gold. One of the nuggets of gold that God has given me with what I've gone through in my past, is this. In 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Here we go. Who comforts us in all of our troubles so that, two very important words, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. God doesn't comfort you to make you comfortable. Have you noticed he is not that interested in you being comfortable? <laughs> but he comforts you in order to make you comfort-able. Yeah. 
so that you in turn can comfort someone else with the comfort you have received from God. Because you see, nobody can help a woman who is struggling with the guilt of an abortion in her past like someone else who's also had an abortion but knows the forgiveness of Jesus. No one can help a woman who is struggling with an abusive spouse like someone else who's also experienced that. Nobody can help someone who's struggling with a a wayward team like someone else who's welcomed a prodigal home. No one can help someone who's struggling with depression like someone else who's also been there herself. But the thing is, we have to not be ashamed of what we've gone through in order to help someone else. Comfort Abel. Once there was a, a store owner, he put up a sign that said, Puppies for Sale. Brings in the little kids, right? And this little boy came and he said, Sir, how much are your puppies? He said, Well, they're about $35 to $50. The little boy said, Well, I've only got $2.34, but can I see them? He said, Sure. Called Lady from the back, seven little fur balls, came behind her. And the little boy noticed that there was a puppy in the back that was limping. And he got really excited and he said, What's wrong with that puppy in the back? The store owner said, well, the veterinarian said that he was born without a hip socket and he would always walk with a limp. He would always be lame. And the little boy said, I want to buy that puppy. I've only got $2.34, but I want to buy that one. And the store owner said, son, you don't need to pay for him. I'll just give you that puppy. The little boy said, you listen here. That puppy's worth just as much as those other puppies. I'll give you my $2.34 and give you 50 cents a week until I get him paid for it. And the store owner said, but son, you don't understand because he's going to always walk with a limp. He's going to always be lame. He's never going to be able to run and jump like the other puppies. And then that little boy leaned down and he pulled up his pant leg. He showed a gnarled, twisted leg and a brace. And he said, that's okay, mister, because you see, I'm never going to be able to run and jump like the other boys. And that puppy's going to need someone who understands. You know, God is going to bring someone in your life. Because they need someone who understands. What are you going to do with that treasure? God wants you to invest it in someone else. You know, I I told you about my family last night. Pretty messed up bunch of folks, huh? I became a Christian at 14. But then I began to pray for my family. My little group of 14-year-old friends, there was a group of us. We began to pray for my family. Then Mrs. Henderson and her group of friends, they were praying for my family. I don't have time to tell you the whole story. But when I was 17, I had an opportunity to go out of the country and study for the summer. But I told the teacher I couldn't go because I was afraid my parents would kill each other. Honestly, I was the one who broke up the, the fights. I didn't tell her that was the reason why. But I was afraid to leave them alone. I was the parent. But now my friends were 17. And listen, when you got 17-year-olds on fire for Jesus, that is a sight to behold, is it not? And my group of 17-year-old friends, they said, we've been praying about it, and the Spirit has told us that you should leave. Don't you love that? So I agreed, and I told the teacher I would go. But before I left, my little group of friends came over, and we, I mean, we were something. We played the blood of Jesus over my house. We marched around that house, praying the blood of Jesus over the house. And then I told my mom, I said, now, when I leave, I can't help you. So you need to go down to Mrs. Henderson's house if you need something. (laughs) Well, the first night I was gone, my dad came home drunk. He started a fight. I wasn't there. My mom remembered what I said. She went down to Mrs. Henderson's and she gave her life to Jesus that night. You know, ladies, 
sometimes we can be so involved in somebody's life that God cannot do what he needs to do. Listen, you mamas. Sometimes we can be so involved in our kids' lives that God can't do what he needs to do. For me, it was I was so involved in their lives. He had to get me out of the country before he could deal with my parents. Well, back then, this is in the 70s, there were no emails. And I mean, if you wanted to place a call, you had to go to the post office and then wait. I mean, it was, so I didn't know what was going on. And I started getting letters that my parents were going to church. My mom came home. And listen, I would never tell anyone to stay with an abusive husband. Never. You need to be safe. But my mom came home from the Hendersons that night and told my father that she was going to forgive him for everything he'd ever done, that she had given her life to Jesus, and she was going to love him. And my father never drank again. (laughs) Cold turkey. But he said, I could never become a Christian because there are too many things in my life I've done. God could never forgive me. Well, when I came home that summer, after the end of the summer, and I've got with my family, and my father told me that same thing. I'll go to church with you, but I could never become a Christian. Too many things I've done. God could never forgive me. And I said, now, Dad, you know that we could never be good enough to become Christians. Y'all know that, right? We could never be good enough. If we could be good enough, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. But my father couldn't understand that kind of grace. But God wasn't finished. Now we had my same group of friends praying. Now my mom is praying for this man. Three more years passed. And my dad was on the verge of a nervous breakdown. He was about to lose everything. He was a businessman getting ready to be sued in our small community for God only knew what. My mom, like I said, had her own business. Now, I'll tell you this really fast. Hang on. In North Carolina, my mom goes to a meeting in Pennsylvania. My dad's about to lose it. He's about to have a nervous breakdown. He gets in the car. He drives to Pennsylvania to try to find my mom at a meeting. He can't find her. He drives by a Catholic church. He stops the car, goes in, and he says to the receptionist, I need someone to pray for me. Is the priest here? And she said, no, the priest is not here, but I know a Baptist pastor out in the woods. Y'all know where this is going, right? And so she said, I know a Baptist pastor out in the woods building his church. She gets a little piece of paper. She draws a little map from my dad. He gets on the car. He drives out in the woods somewhere where there's this pastor building his church, hammering nails. He draws up and he says, I need for you to pray for me. That pastor says, Alan, come sit on this lock with me and tell me your story. And then my dad told him everything he'd ever done. And then that pastor puts his arm around my father and he says, Alan, I've done everything you've done. The way my father described it to me, he said, Sharon, that man had done everything that I had done. And I knew that if God could forgive him and he could be a preacher that he could forgive me too. And my father accepted Jesus and became one of the sweetest men I've ever known. Now, what happened in the woods that day? See, I was, I was reading about the resurrection of Jesus one Easter. And I noticed that when Jesus went before his disciples, they didn't know who he was until what? He held out his hands, pulled up his tunic, and they saw his scars. And Jesus said to me, God said to me, they didn't recognize Jesus until they saw his scars. And that's still how people recognize Jesus today, when you're not ashamed to show yours. And I said, God, but they might think poorly of me. And he said, would you rather them think well of you or well of me? See, that's how we invest in other people. That's how we look for that hidden treasure. Use what you've gone through to show Jesus to other people. See, my father had been going to church with us for three years. He didn't see anybody like him. He saw men all spiffied up with smiles on their faces. But he didn't see anybody like him. And it took him from going to, from 
North Carolina all the way to Pennsylvania to meet a man who is not ashamed to show his scars to lead my father to Christ. God has invested your story. Don't let Satan tell you to keep your story quiet. It tells us in Revelation, it says, they overcame him, talking about the devil, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and what? The word of their testimony. Your story has so much power that it's in the same verse with the blood of the lamb. My goodness, no wonder Satan doesn't want you telling anybody. No wonder he wants you to keep it quiet. There's so much power in your story. That's what people need to see. Look for that hidden treasure. Look for the hidden treasure. Let me tell you another story about, about my own life. That was, that was my parents. But how I found a hidden treasure in a struggle in my own life. Um, it's in the whole area of having children. I told you last night about uh, meeting my husband. And um, when we decided it was time that we wanted to start our family, been married about three and a half years, I got pregnant the very first time we tried. And I was very proud of myself. Thank you very much. I thought, I am born to bear, and I'm going to have a house full of kids. That's what I'm going to do with my life. So when Stephen was about 18 months, we decided we were going to try for baby number two. We told Stephen that we were praying that God would send him a little brother or sister. We called it a Jane's baby, Jane's being my last name. And so then Stephen at night, he would say in his little baby voice, God, please give mommy and daddy another Jane's baby. So we would do our little devotions, and that was the end of the prayers, like the doxology at our house. So after a month, there was no news. Two months, no news. Six months, no news. Year, no Jane's baby. Went to the doctor, infertility treatment. Two years, no news. And the doctor said, it looks like you might not have more children. Stephen's about five years old, and see, every night he's praying this prayer. And God, please give mommy and daddy more, give them a Jane's baby. And I didn't know how to handle that. How do you tell a child to stop praying a prayer? Have you ever shared a prayer request and wish you just kept your mouth shut? I said, God, you got to handle this. And then one day Stephen looked up at me and he said, Mommy, have you ever thought maybe God wants you to just have one Jane's baby? And I said, yeah, I have thought that. He said, what I think we ought to do, don't you love that, five-year-old? What I think we ought to do is pray until you're too old to have one. And then we'll know that's his answer. Now, listen, Stephen had no idea how old too old was. I mean, he read about Sarah. She was 90 when she had the baby, right? But the thing about Stephen is he trusted God. And God was teaching me. That was my nugget of gold. God was teaching me, if I say no to you, it's not no because I don't love you. Because I said no to Stephen all the time. And no didn't mean no because I didn't love him. No meant no because I was his parent and I knew what was best for him. And God was saying, if I say no to you, it's not because I don't love you, but it's because I know what's best for you. And he was teaching me about trusting him to my little five-year-old. Well, many years passed, and one day I found out I was pregnant. We're not even sure how it happened. Honestly, maybe that was the problem, right? And <laughs> but the baby was growing. The doctor said you know, she was growing. Everything was great. But then she died before she was born. And those of us who believe that life begins at conception, you know, this was a loss of a child that was, not a loss of a child that is to be. And I mourned for that little girl. And I was so mad at God. I went to bed and pulled the covers up. And I said, I am not talking to you. Like I was going to pay him back. Anybody done that? 
And where did he go? He stayed right there by my side, just loving me and waiting for me. And then after about three months of mourning, he said, will you trust me? And I finally said, yes, I'll trust you. I don't like it, but I'm going to trust you. And he told me to stop saying, why me? And start saying, what now? Stop saying, why me? And start saying, what now? There's a nugget for you. Well, some time passed. I was doing a study on, I was writing Five Dreams of Every Woman. I was doing a study on being the bride of Christ. I was reading the Song of Solomon, and I was reading it as if I was the bride and Jesus was the groom. And in Song of Solomon, the groom says to the bride, you are the Rose of Sharon. And I thought, huh, that's my name. (laughs) Yeah. And God said, go look it up. And I talk about God speaking to me. It's not audibly. It just speaks to my heart. And I went and looked it up in my Bible dictionary, and Sharon meant a fertile valley in the Holy Land. And God spoke to my heart, and he said, Sharon, your medical chart says infertile. But I am telling you that your name is Fertile Valley because I am fulfilling your dream, but just not in a way that you thought I would. And ladies, you've got dreams in your life, and maybe some of those dreams have been broken. But God is saying, I will fulfill those dreams in my own way, and they are much better than anything that you ever imagined. When we give those dreams to God. It was a nugget of gold for me that day. Let me give you one more. Stephen was 16. He was asleep in his bed, and I was standing in his door frame. He was long, six feet long. He's hairy, hairy, hairy old man, child. He had drool coming down his face, and his hair was long and all messy, and hairy leg hanging off the bed. And I was thinking, man, I love this kid. Just, you know, just love him. Don't you feel that way about your kids? And then I said, but Lord, why was there one? Why was there one? And John three sixteen just washed over me as I looked at him. For God so loved the world, he gave what? His only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I said, God, is that my nugget of gold today? And again, it just washed over me. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And God began to show me that he gave me a living, walking, breathing example of how much he loved me. Because every time I look at that man, child, I think about, there are a lot of people I love, but there's nobody I love enough to give my only son. And yet God loved me that much that he gave his. He loved you that much that he gave his. And I can think about that every time I look at Stephen. A nugget of gold, a visual example of how much God loves me. Look for those nugget of gold in your life. That's number one. Number two is to forgive those people who've hurt you. Forgive them. Let them go. C.S. Lewis says that everyone says that forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have someone to forgive. Let me read you something from Take Hold. Henry Richard Blackaby said this, Bitterness has a tenacious way of taking deep root within the soul and resting on efforts to weed it out. Time, rather than diminishing the hurt, only seems to sharpen the pain. You find yourself rehearsing the offense over and over again each time driving the root of bitterness deeper within your soul. Bitterness is easy to justify. You can get so used to a bitter heart that you're even comfortable with it, but it will destroy you. And only God is fully aware of its destructive potential. 
Here's another quote. We find some perverse joy in licking old wounds. We return to the hurts again and again, reliving them in the movie we play in the theater of our minds, a movie in which we are the stars. We see ourselves abused, wrong, but oh so right. And every time we play this movie in our imagination, we bear again what each person did or didn't do or say and didn't say. We cling to the memories because in our darkened minds, we believe that if we forget, the one who hurt us may go free. Bitterness arises from the belief that the person who hurt us owes us and must somehow pay us back. But remember, they don't care. And the only person it hurts is ourselves. Let it go. Let it go. You know, sometimes you can't drop chains unless you know you're carrying them, right? So I want you to pray, Lord, is there someone that I'm not forgiving? Is there someone I need to cut loose? Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me to the life everlasting. Pray, Lord, is there someone that I'm not letting go of today? Let him go. Third step probably predictable here but it's to forgive yourself i love this quote also in the book it says there is no forgiveness from god unless you freely forgive your brother from your heart and i wonder if we've been too narrow in thinking that brother only applies to someone else what if you are the brother or sister who needs to be forgiven and you need to forgive yourself first john 1 if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness amen Now, in your folders, you have an index card, and you have a little pink response card, too. I want you to get those those index cards out. And if you forgot your folder, just raise your hand. We have someone with some cards in a basket, and um, they'll come and bring you a card. And I'm going to tell you a story about a little boy who had his hand caught in a valuable vase. Let me give you just a minute to get your cards. Once there was a little boy who um, had his hand caught in this valuable vase. And they tried and tried and and tried to get his hand out. Couldn't get it free. So his father said, now, son, we're going to have to break this vase. But before we break it, I want you to hold your hand out like this. Open your fingers. Pull them together and try to slip your hand out. And the little boy said, daddy, I can't do that because I might drop my penny. See, sometimes we're hanging on to something that is about as worthless as a penny when God wants to set us free. I want you to think about, and I've been praying for you, that if there's someone that you need to forgive today, I want you just to jot their name on this little index card. Jot their name on the card. Maybe it's your own self. You need to receive God's grace and you need to forgive yourself for something that you've been carrying around. The shame that you've been putting on every day. And God is saying, it is time to let that go. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that includes you. Jesus has already paid the penalty for that. And he wants you to be free and to live free.
If you need to forgive yourself for something, I want you just to jot that down on that little card. There's a third thing I want you to consider. Maybe you came this weekend and maybe you've been seeking. Maybe you um, have been thinking about making a commitment to Christ, having a relationship with Jesus Christ, but you've never done it. You can't think of a day when you did that. Maybe like me and our family, you've got a religion in your life. Maybe you go to church, but you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want you to, if you have not accepted Jesus as your Savior, I want you just to simply draw a heart on your card and say, Jesus, today is the day. Today's the day that I'm going to give my life to you. I'm going to make you Lord and Savior of my life. Now you'll notice we have two crosses up here on the stage, down at the foot of the stage on either side. I'm going to give us a few minutes, and I want you to fill out that card, and then I want you to come and just lay it at the feet of the cross and leave it there. Let it go. So we got three things to consider. Is there someone or some people that you need to forgive today? Let it go. Jot their name down. You need to forgive yourself from something that you've done in your past. Jot that down. And if you want to accept Jesus as your Savior today for the first time, just simply draw a heart. Then after a few minutes when you're ready, just come and put it at the foot of the cross and then go back and take your seat. I want us not to talk with each other, but just be really meditative and pray. Let's take a few moments. As you're writing, I think of a poem that says, Just as my child brings his broken toys with tears for me to mend, I took my broken dreams to God because he was my friend. But then instead of leaving him in peace to work alone, I hung around and tried to help with ways that were my own. At last, I snatched them back and cried, How could you be so slow? What could I do, my child? He said, You never would let go. So this morning, we are letting go of our broken dreams. We are letting go of those people who have hurt us in the past. We're taking them off our hook. We're putting them on your hook. We're receiving God's grace and forgiveness. We're saying, I'm no longer going to listen to that rooster crowing in my heart. I'm going to accept God's grace. I'm going to forgive myself and move on. I'm going to learn from my mistakes and move on to take hold of all that Jesus Christ has taken hold of for me and placed in me. we come before you and we lay our burdens at the foot of the cross where they need to be you created us to be sheep you call us sheep and sheep are not pack animals we are not made to carry burdens and we lay these burdens down Lord we pray that we will be set free today thank you Lord for the way you transform our lives but Lord you require that we participate in that transformation You are the one who transforms. We are the one who obey. We participate with you in this process. Thank you, Lord. I want to have the prayer team come down here, too, if you'll just come up to the front of the stage. And if anyone would like some extra prayer about what you're doing today, we will have the prayer team down front. If they'll just come right here in this section, the prayer team, that'd be awesome.
I'm going to continue, but if you at any time want to come forward for prayer, you just keep you just keep coming. But I want us to all just bow our heads if you're in your seats. Just bow your heads for a moment. And if there's someone here who has never accepted Christ as their Savior, can you, let's just pray these words after me in your heart. Lord, I come to you today as a sinner in need of a Savior. God, I believe that Jesus Christ is your Son who was born of a virgin who lived a perfect life and who died on Calvary's cross for my sin. I believe that he rose again and now sits at your right hand in heaven. I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I give him my life to follow him for the rest of my days. And I believe in faith that this is done. Thank you for having me as your child in your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, welcome to the family. And I encourage you to tell someone, you know, I don't understand all of Scripture but and the whys of everything, but I do know it tells us in Scripture, it says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. So it's important for you to tell someone. Tell the person that you came with, or you can tell me. I'd love to hear that news. You also have another card, a pink card. It's a response card. And if you accepted Christ for the first time today, there's a little place to check on there. And I would love to send you a book called Now That You're a Christian. And it kind of gives you next steps of what to do in your faith. And also, I have um, a weekly blog devotion that I sent out, and I would love to stay connected with you. Just write your email on that card, and we'll sign you up, and I can start visiting with you once a week sometimes. Don't always get it done. <laughs>